Please turn in your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 1. Our passage tonight is James, chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, uh, looking at verses 12 through 18. You can find this on your pew Bibles on page 1011. We're continuing tonight uh, our series in the book of James. And we're going to begin in verse 12. To hear now the word of our our God. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. As far the reading of God's word, would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, we, we thank you for your living word. I pray tonight uh, that you would cause our hearts to come to life to your word and help us to see clearly who you are and your love for us. Help us, O Lord, to turn away from sin and embrace the Savior. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was once told a story of a young lady who was visiting India on a missions trip. And while she was there, they were visiting this area that had just gone through several days of intense rain. And this particular day, they were traveling across a river that had swollen up because of all the rain that had come. Uh, But this river was one that they were told, make sure you do not go into it. It's a very dirty river, and being an American, this is not one that her body would be able to handle because there's bacteria and, and other things in there that we are not used to dealing with. Well... As the group was crossing the river, they were crossing over a bridge, and all of a sudden this young lady was crossing, and she slipped, lost her balance, and she fell into the water. Eventually, they were able to get her out and get her to a hospital. As the pastor who told this story talked about going to visit her in the hospital after, uh, he said, that she looked just as beautiful as she always did. Nothing was wrong with her, a young woman whose life was ahead of her. But then the doctor told him, she looks fine. She looks great. But inside of her, there is bacteria that is killing her. And unless we take care of it now, she will die. Now, that can be a danger for all of us, no matter where we travel. 
Things outwardly may look very good for each of us. And yet when sin has taken hold of our lives, it can grow and it can overwhelm and creep over all the bright parts of our hearts. And as James tells us in this passage, will bring forth death. And so in our verses here, James is telling us, be watchful. Do not be deceived. Know what is in your heart. Do not be deceived. Every one of us in this room is capable of being deceived to believe that everything is okay. Or to make it appear that everything is okay to the world. And yet, we can have these desires in our hearts that we cultivate. And allow them uh, to grow. And when it grows, what happens is it leads us to death. And so James tells us, to brothers, he says to, in verse 16, to my beloved brothers, he's not speaking to the unchristian, the, the pagan outside of the church here. He's talking, remember, to believers who are scattered throughout the, the world. And they're facing temptations of various kinds, all sorts of trials in their lives. And he's saying, don't let your heart be fooled. As we look at our passage this evening, I want us to see it in two points. I want us to consider, first of all, the deception of temptation. The deception of temptation. And then secondly, we'll see the antidote to sin's deceit. The antidote to sin's deceit. So first, the deception of temptation. Well, as we already have seen when we began James a few weeks ago, uh, James tells us right at the beginning in verse 2 that we are to count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. And as we've gone through in the past few weeks, we've seen a couple of different kinds of trials that believers have to endure uh, already. For instance, we've seen uh, the trials of, of faith versus doubt. I know some of you have experienced those sorts of trials even recently of struggling with times of doubt. There are also trials that come from, from wealth and from poverty. But here tonight we see a different kind of trial. Not one that is due to these outward circumstances in your life, but a trial instead that actually issues forth from your own heart. That the, there are temptations that arise out of your own heart desiring wrong things, having wrong desires. And those of you who have been caught up in this know what it's like. It, it often will catch you just in a moment. I don't know how many times I've heard it before where someone says, I, I just have no idea how that happened. I never thought this would happen to me. I never thought that I could do such a thing. When you say that, what's really been going on? It may be a surprise to you in the moment, but what's been going on in your heart? 
when you don't believe that you're capable of doing a particular kind of sin, that you believe somehow that, that you are above the fray of this particular area of sin. And James says, my beloved brothers, do not fool yourself. You are far more capable of sinning than you realize. And the Lord wants you to know this tonight. Whether you're having that struggle right now or not, if you're not having that struggle right now, don't be tempted to say, well, I don't need this sermon tonight. Actually, now is when you do need it. Because when that temptation arises, you need to be prepared. What do I do? What do I do when I have these wrong desires that are just coming out and I don't understand why is this in my heart? When you fall to temptation, that's what's happened to you as you've been deceived. When you fall to temptation, it's because you have been deceived. Sin is deceitful and in all temptation there's an element of of deception in it. Take a look, for instance, uh, in verse 14, how temptation works. Verse 14 says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So interesting words, uh, lure and entice. Uh, These words in the original Greek here carry this sort of metaphorical sense to them. This sort of metaphorical language. It's the language of, uh, there's a picture painted here of an animal being trapped Lure, in particular, is, is kind of bringing up the, the, the language and the idea of fishing. Now, I'm not a fisherman, nor am I a hunter, so you can correct me later, but you'll get the point. But what is a, what is a lure, fisherman? What is a lure? It's something that you put on the end of your, your string there with a hook on it, and it's something that is going to be maybe bright and flashy and have colors and it's going to be something that looks like maybe a a bug or a small fish or something, why would you have that on the end of a rope in a water? Because you know that there's some bigger fish over here that's going to see that and say, oh, that looks good. That looks yummy. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to feed the fish? No, you're trying to be fed by that fish. You've got that hook in there. What looks enticing, luring to that fish, is the thing that's going to kill it. Because when it bites onto that lure, the fisherman drags it up, kills it, and that fish is dead. That's the language of lure here. And then it has the word entice as well. It conjures up a picture of hunting. You know, hunters might set out corn in a particular place, And you sit in your stand and you just wait for the deer to come. And the deer thinks, oh great, there's breakfast laid out for me. And what are they doing? They're walking right into the line of sight of your scope. And you're ready for the kill. To lure and entice the thing that you are hunting, that you are seeking to kill. What's interesting about this verse is saying that the trap that James is warning us about, or the traps that James is warning us about here, are not traps set by the devil. They're not traps set by our circumstances or other people in our lives, and they're not set by God. Rather, these are traps that are set in your own heart. 
Look at verse 14 again. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? By his own desire. Lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, your great problem in this life is not somebody else hunting you down. That's not your great problem. Your great problem is yourself. Your great problem is your own heart and your own desires. Of course, there are, the Bible does speak of an enemy, uh, the devil particularly of a lion prowling around. And of course, we need to be watchful and careful. And yet, what James' concern here is saying, watch your own desire. For that's what's going to trap you. That's what's going to hunt you down. When we desire things that are not of God, or when we elevate things, even things that are good things, but we make them more than what they are meant to be, with a greater purpose than what God has designed them for, we'll find ourselves caught in the trap of our own desire. I wonder how many of you have said or asked the question, if only I could have just a little bit more money, everything would be fixed. If only I had a person in my life who understood me. If only, if only my spouse and I liked the same things, then everything would be fine. If only this. How often have you made that sort of argument in your own mind about things that you're just sort of playing with, that you know in the end, if, you were to, if I were to ask you, is it good, is it honoring God that you're playing with this? And you would say, no, of course not. And yet we rationalize it within our own hearts. Do you know what the desires of your heart are? Have you ever considered and pondered what is it that you really love and really want to go after and pursue. All of us have those things. I can't help but think of Adam and Eve here. We think about what happened in the garden in Eden. The serpent comes in and, and lures and entices Eve. And you may say, well, you know, here it is. That's the enemy. Of course he is. And he says this to Eve. Did God actually say you shall not eat? You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So yes, there is that outward temptation here. But in that, do you... Notice Eve's response. Eve takes a look at the tree that's been forbidden by God. And the Genesis says she saw that the tree was good for food. And it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. What did Eve want? She wanted what God forbid. And so did Adam. So did Adam. It's amazing. It's, it's just amazing, isn't it? We can look at Adam and Eve and just say, what? 
Eve, didn't you? Come on, you didn't have sin. How, wouldn't you, why didn't you just say, serpent, get out of here. You're, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. God said, do not eat of this tree. Do not question God. That would have been right. Kick the serpent out. And yet, all of us have had that same sort of response to the things that we know that God has forbidden. Once something is on your mind, how amazing is it, especially when it's forbidden, that it becomes to grow in your mind and your heart. I don't know if you've ever been on a diet. I I have. I know within five minutes of going on a diet, all I can think about are hamburgers, pizza, french fries, and milkshakes. It's like I'm not even hungry. I just had lunch. But now all I want is, is this food that I know is not good for me. It can be an all-consuming thing. It's something that you begin to desire. Where did that come from? It's not my wife, you know, holding a hamburger in front of me and saying, Ben, why don't you eat this? It's coming from me. But when we sin, we're tempted to say it's her fault. It's his fault. The devil made me do it. If my circumstances would be different, I wouldn't have done it. Surely you would understand. Anybody in my circumstances would do the same thing. If only so-and-so paid more attention to me, I wouldn't have done that. We see even in verse 13, sometimes we'll go so far as to blame God. God tempted me. You might say, well, what's the big deal? Even Jesus was tempted. In a sense, of course, it's true. Jesus was tempted. He was tempted as Eve was, by outward things. But what did Jesus do when the enemy, when the devil came to him? Jesus rejected the temptation. He was was tempted to avoid the cross. But he avoided that temptation and instead out of love for the Father, what does he do? He prays to the Father and he goes to the cross in front of a crowd that is mocking him. And a crowd that is despising him. At any point he could have said no. But he goes to the cross And that's our hope, isn't it? Not that we have never failed at any point, but we hang our lives, our hopes, our souls upon the very fact that Jesus himself said no to all temptation. James says in verse 13, God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. And so tonight you need to take an honest look at your own desires and thoughts that you tend to foster, even perhaps secretly, and allow them to grow in themselves. They may seem shiny to you and appealing in the moment, but it's not until you really take the bite that it sets in and realizes, oh no, this is the pathway to death. Verse 15 says, Then the desire it When desire is there, it has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Adam and Eve had to learn this the hard way. How often do we 
have to learn this the hard way as well. When we have our head in our hands, it's too late. Say, I never saw this coming. I don't know how this happened. But when you're in the thick of the deceit of temptation, it's, it's like a horse having its blinders on. It's all you can see. You can't see anything else. You can't understand anything else. It's all that you think about. You can't think properly or see properly. And, and James is telling us this and saying, you need to know this right now, brothers. Right now, sisters, because before sinful desire takes root in your heart, you need to be able to uproot that. You need to weed that out. So James says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Now, it's one thing to hear that and be told, do not be deceived. And you say, okay, I I agree. I know that sin is deadly. I know that I should not play with it and it's not a little kitten that I, w- I want to you know, cuddle with. It, it's, it's a killer. But how do I do that? How do I not be deceived? Well, we see in these verses, James gives us as well, not only the command not to be deceived, but he tells us now the antidote to sin's deceit. Verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When ungodly desire grows within us, we need it, and we're like that horse with the blinders on. It's all we can see, tunnel vision right in front of us. We need to take those blinders off. James tells us we need to take those blinders off. We need to step back and see with a different perspective, with an eternal and holy perspective. And instead of asking the question, is, you know, it, when bad things happen and when I'm feeling and fostering those sinful you know, desires in my heart and we want to ask, is God really good to allow these trials in my life? Like Adam and Eve does. We point to someone else, anyone else, even God himself, and we say, you are the reason why I sinned. What James is saying, no, we need to embrace tonight. Right now, we need to embrace this with all of our hearts and with all of our minds that everything good that we have has been given to us by God. That God does not give us anything bad, ever. Only good things. And all good things. God is the one who has given these things. Just think about this past week. Did anything good happen to you? And some of you may say, man, I've, I've had a hard week. It's been a bad week. Is there anything good? Perhaps a good meal? Uh, perhaps you found a little bit of extra cereal in the box you didn't think you had? Isn't it good that you're here tonight? We need to look at those things, even small things. No, God, you've given this to me. Thank you. We need to have a thankful heart towards God with all the good things we have. Are you thankful to God for these good things, no matter how small they might be? And then you start to think more about the good things that God has given you, and even though you've had perhaps a terrible week, 
Maybe it's the worst week you've ever had. But then you start to think about the Gospel itself. Of how God has so richly given to you. Paul, the Apostle, speaks of the Gospel in terms of giving. In Romans 8, listen to this. He, God, who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? What Paul is saying, the Gospel itself is a gift from God. It is a good gift. It is an eternal gift. You need to grasp this about God. You need to know the character of God. You need to understand and, and wrap your mind and your heart around God's character that, that He is a good God. He is holy and He gives and He gives and He gives and He only gives good things. Verse 17 calls God the Father of lights. Now this should take you even farther back than Genesis. There's not much farther back than Genesis 3, but there's two more chapters before that. What does God do there? He makes the world. He made the sun and the moon, and Genesis says it's the, the greater and the lesser light. And, and then He makes the stars as well. Sort of a, He just threw that in there too. The galaxies in the skies at night, He just made those. Because He did. Because He wanted to. The powerful God of light, Almighty, who is eternal, This God is not merely a God who creates great things, but He is the Father of lights. He is your Father. And He is the best kind of Father. He is a God, Father who is powerful. He is a God who is able. And He is a God who loves you and is willing to help you. This is who God is. Verse 17 goes on to say that in God there is no variation or shadow due to change. It's saying he's saying he's unchangeable. He doesn't change. He doesn't get, he's a, you know, we think about some things that change and we think that's a, a bad thing. I'm sure if you talk to my wife, she said, well, I wish he could change a few things. We all probably think about that when we look in the mirror. We consider, you know, what's going on in our lives. I wish I could change this or that and wish I could get better at this and grow in that. But God being unchanging is not a bad thing. You know, sometimes we look at our lives and we're sad and we say it just seems like nothing really changes. But God not changing is something that we need to absolutely hang on to. He's never surprised by anything. His goodness doesn't change. He's not moody. He doesn't wake up uh, with, with a bad headache any mornings. He, he doesn't feel like tired and doesn't want to deal with you sometimes. That's not who God is. The God who has spared not His only Son and graciously gives you all things continues to do so because He is such a good God and He is unchanging. God is never surprised by anything. We are surprised all the time. God never has to have a plan B. I have to have a plan D, E, and F all the time in my life. But God doesn't. Our trials, our difficulties that cause us to panic and stay awake at night. God doesn't panic over those things. He's not overwhelmed by them. 
Instead, he is the God who made a plan before the foundation of the world, and he has chosen you to be his child, and he has known you before you were ever born. I was cutting my, hair, my, my son's hair this week, and we were talking as we were doing it. How many hairs are on his head? My son asked, do you think there are a hundred hairs? More than that, son. A thousand hairs? More than that. How many hairs are there? I said, I have no idea. I love you, and I know more about you than you know yourself, and yet I don't know that, but you know who does? God who made heaven and earth, who rules over the nations, knows the number of hairs on your head. God knows the smallest most timid, most worried, sad, and afraid person in his kingdom. He knows our fears. He knows the things that we play with, our desires that can grow in our hearts. He knows the things that make us tick. But God does not change. He doesn't have to go to a plan B. He is a God you can trust. Scripture speaks of our Savior Jesus Christ in the same way. He says, Jesus, the Son of God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So James says, get your head up and look to God. Look at Him rightly. Don't blame Him. Know that everything good comes from Him. There is no good apart from Him. Everything good that you have is from Him. And we need to see His unchanging goodness. We also need to see in verse 18, we need to know and realize the power of being born again. Verse 18, Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Basically, if you're a Christian, you need to remember who you are in Christ. Who God has made you to be. What he's taken you out of and what he has brought you into. God is not like sin. He does not produce death, but instead he produces life. He's taken you out of death and he brings you into life. Do not be deceived. God gives life by the word of truth. According to his own will. God saves sinners. He gives life to sinners. According to his will. Out of love. He sovereignly takes you out of the state of sin and death. And brings you forth giving you new life. and says, call me Father. God's grace to us in Jesus Christ is essential. And we forget that. We forget the love of God in Jesus Christ. And we forget who we are when we're made new in Christ. And that's when we allow our desires to give birth to sin in our hearts. We forget the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We forget his love. So we need to remember what God has done. And we also need to remember where God is taking us. All the way back to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Where do you have your eyes set? What are you looking towards? And, and when you think of the goals in your life and the desires of your heart, what, what's the end goal of those desires? 
May it not be the shiny things of today that tempt you, but instead set your eyes upon the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You know, we may think that the blessed life is the one that has no trials and no temptations, but we see really the blessed life is the one who keeps his eyes on Jesus in the midst of those trials and, in, and temptations, to hold fast to the unchanging and good and loving and giving God. Your trials, your temptations, your desires may be great and really strong. But they cannot break the love and goodness of God, nor can they break his promises. Remember that. Do not be deceived. Nothing in this world loves you greater than God does in Jesus Christ. Do not be deceived. Don't forget who God is, what he has done for you, and where he's taking you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us to see clearly the truth of your loving kindness, your steadfast love towards your people. Would you fill our hearts with your spirit so that the desires that bring forth sin, Lord, would they be expelled from our hearts. Help us, Holy Spirit, to live by faith. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.